Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. I don't usually do this. I'm opening up my phone. Uh, the reason I don't usually do this is because I usually don't bring a phone because I don't want that little vibration thing going off on my leg when I'm preaching. My, I'm Pastor Chris, by the way, if you're new here. I, I always assume that people know who I am, but you would have no reason to know who I am if you're new. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor, and I'm excited about something. That's why I have my phone. We have a thing now called the New Life app. I don't know if you know that, but if you click on the New Life app, what happens, I just have the study guide. If uh, We're doing a series called Sit, Walk, Stand, as you saw. And the study guide for that series is, is actually on the app. So you can just click on it in case you don't have the study guide. And then if you click on the media guide, uh, you can go back and see all the videos that you've missed, if you've missed any. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. I know I'm 59 and I'm easily impressed by technology, but, but I really think that's a pretty cool thing that New Life has our own app. And that was created by Casey Collins and Pastor Brad. So thanks to them. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity to worship and glorify your name. We thank you now, God, that we have your word, your truth, that we can investigate, that we can uh, discern uh, your truth by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that's what I pray today, God, that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts by your Holy Spirit and speak your truth and, and give us your love so that we can be more faithful witnesses and children for you in the world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a uh, little fact about Chris Marshall. I love reading. You may or may not know that, but ever since I was six years old and I learned to read, I've been a voracious reader. And uh, I, I don't just read to get information. Probably you would know that about me if you've been around for a while because I have these two formulas. Information minus application equals information but information plus application equals transformation. So when I read, my goal is to gain information that I can apply in the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can become more and more transformed to be like Jesus, which means I read a lot of Christian books, but I don't just read Christian books, and obviously I read the Bible every day, but I also read business books and leadership books because I want to be a more effective leader for God. I also read science books because, whoa, is that, that's pretty awesome. Okay, so... Um, I didn't do that, did I, Brad? If I could do that, I'd do it again. But anyway, okay. So anyway, um, next time I need to make a point. Uh, so, so anyway, I like science books because I like to know how stuff works. Um, uh, good science books, let me put it that way. Um, I'm more of a why kind of a guy. I like to know why more than how, but science tells us how, so I like that. And, and I, I don't usually read just for the fun of it, but I used to do that a lot when our children were growing up because they would come home from school and they'd say, Daddy, Daddy, I want to read this book my friends are reading. And so what I would do is I would get the book from the library and I would read it myself or else I would sit down with them and I would read it with them because this is what I decided uh, early on. Nancy and I decided this as parents. What, we can't keep our kids from reading stuff, but what we can do is we can filter it through the lens of the truth. And, and as followers of Jesus, we believe that this book is truth and that it is the absolute truth. And, and so what we want to do uh, as we read anything, actually, is filter it through the truth. Because being a Christian or following Jesus isn't just a little slice of the pie that we call life. It is our life. And so a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, when we were in Ephesians 2 in this series, Sit, Walk, Stand, More Than Going Through the Motions, the Apostle Paul told us that as believers, we're something very, very interesting. He said we're a house. 
It's a living house. And he said, the house is built on the foundation of the truth of the prophets and the apostles. You see, the prophets uh, primarily wrote the, what we call the Old Testament, and the apostles wrote primarily what we call the New Testament. And the, the, the book, uh, which makes up the, the Old and New Testament, is the Bible, is the foundation for our lives. And those authors told us that this book is breathed or inspired by God, that every word of it is true. And so that's what we take as the gospel, the truth here at New Life, and, and that's why all of our messages are based on, on that, and, and this particular series is based on Ephesians 6, sit, walk, stand, more than going through the motions. And today we're going to move into chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, and as we do that, we're going to find out two incredible truths. And the first of those two incredible truths is in our take-home point, and again, if you're new, we seek to make one point every week. And that point is the take-home point. We take it home, we reflect on it, we pray about it, and then we apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the the take-home point. When we make our hearts Jesus' home, everything changes. When we make our hearts Jesus' home, everything changes. For millennia, people have talked about the heart as the center of the emotions. In fact, in Valentine's Day, we make a little heart, which I don't know where that shape came from because it doesn't look anything like a heart. But anyway, um, you know, and it's the center of the emotions. Now, medical doctors and scientists tell us that the heart is actually a four-chambered pump in human beings. It's a four-chambered pump that pumps blood throughout the body. But all through history, and before history, I think, people saw the heart as something more than that. In fact, Um, King Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived before Jesus, said this about the heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, the wellspring is the source, the source of something. And so the heart is the source of our lives. And so we must guard it, is what King Solomon said. He said something else very interesting about the heart. He said this, as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Now, how does, (laughs) that's sort of weird, isn't it, that the heart thinks? But you know what's interesting? In the past several decades, medical science has discovered that the heart actually does think, that the heart can actually override the brain. And eventually, medical science always catches up with the Bible. And actually, all kinds of science eventually catches up with the Bible because if it's true, then truth is going to catch up with truth. I don't have time to tell you about how the heart thinks, but there's a really cool book, um, Deadly Emotions, it's called. Just look it up and get it on Amazon and read the story about the heart transplant little girl. It's just awesome. Not, a, not for today, another day. Okay. I think I would be ADD if I was uh, diagnosed today, but I'm really not. Okay. So, so today, we're going to do... Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, and when we get to verse 17, we're going to see this whole deal about what the heart really is. But for now, let's turn to 14 and 15 in Ephesians 3. It'll be up on the screen. You could use your own Bible, your Bible app, um, or uh, anything you want, but this is the Word of God, and it says this. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the Creator of everything in heaven and on earth. When I think of all this, now if you've missed the last couple weeks or you've maybe never been here before, uh, you don't know what Paul is talking about when he said, when I think of all this. But he actually said that at the beginning of chapter 3, Pastor Brad read last week, when I think of all of this. And and what Pastor Brad said, which was true, and and what what I'm going to say, which is true, is that probably Paul was thinking of everything that he had written in Ephesians uh, 1, 2, and 3 up to this point. And there are four incredible truths that we've already discovered through studying Ephesians this summer. And the first one is that we have been redeemed 
by the blood of Jesus. That's the number one thing, that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And redemption was the process of a slave being set free. We have been set free from slavery to sin and death by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. The second truth that we learned in Ephesians so far is that we receive the infinite cosmic power of God. Once we've been redeemed, once we have the truth of Jesus in our lives, the love of Jesus in our lives, we're saved, we're born again, to use Jesus' terms, what happens is the Spirit of God dwells in us and we have the power of God so that we can live our lives effectively to his glory. The third thing we learned was that we receive the ultimate citizenship and membership, citizenship in God's eternal kingdom and membership in God's eternal family. While it's great to be an American and while it's wonderful to be part of the new life family, God gives us something incredibly better than that. We get to be citizens of the kingdom of God, which is eternal, and members of God's family, which is also eternal. And then the fourth thing we learned, which was just last week when Pastor Brad was preaching, is that we become God's messengers, sharing his good news in Jesus Christ with everyone. Once we have all of these things that we have because of Jesus Christ, we get to be his messengers. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he wants us to go out and tell people about him. And as Pastor Brad said, we are God's soothsayers, which soothsayer means truthsayer. And so we get to tell the truth about God. So these are four incredible truths. And Paul says, when I think of all of that, what happens? Now look what it says. It says, I fall down. I fall on my knees before the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And here's a question I have. When was the last time that you reflected on God's word and God's truth and it so overwhelmed you that you fell down on your knees? My guess is it might never have happened. And here's why it might never have happened is because we usually get overwhelmed by other stuff. In fact, the busyness of life often overwhelms us. And the, the fluff and stuff of life often distract us from the meal of life, which really is these truths that we've been learning, that there's a God who loves us and who redeemed us by his blood, who gives us his power and presence, who lets us be citizens of his kingdom forever and members of his family forever, and that we get to speak his truth. And so we don't pause to thank him. So that's what we're going to do right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, we do pause right now and say thank you. We are overwhelmed that you love us, that you, that you, the God and creator of all that exists, care about us. And not only care about us, that you've redeemed us and you've given us your power, that you've let us become your children and citizens of your kingdom. God, we thank you that you consider us uh, able, not worthy, but able to, to share your message with the world around us. And so God, today we just pause and we say thank you for who you are, for all that you've done for your great salvation in our lives. And we, we pray, God, that we'll never take it for granted and we'll never be distracted by the things around us so that we forget who you are and, and that we belong to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul carried this same train of thought as he wrote, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So what Paul is doing is he's recalling God's infinite cosmic power. And where does he say this infinite power is? It's inside of us. Inner strength. Now here's the thing about living as Americans in 2016 is often when we wake up in the morning until we go to bed at night, we think about external things. We don't think about internal things. In fact, we are told in this culture that if we could just get enough technology or if we could just get enough money that we would be safe from, you know, from people that want to hurt us or from poverty or from obsolescence. We are told that if we could just experience the right 
food or the right chemicals or, or, or the right external experience or, or the right you know, sexual experience, something, we would be made well and whole. But the truth of the matter is, this is what the world tells us. It tells us that we're challenged to believe that what defines us is what we have and what we do rather than who we are. But what Paul says right here is it's who we are that matters. It's not what we do or what we have that matters. Because what we do and what we have ought to be guided from the inside out. And so, you know, when we see something external in the world, we should judge whether it's good or bad, whether it's evil or indifferent, based on who we are and whose we are, that this power of God in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying. And then he uses this incredible image to show us what the internal connection uh, of us to God is like. It says this, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep in God's love and keep you strong. So today's message title is Our Hearts, Jesus' Home. And I got that title from a booklet I read when I was a teenager. And the booklet is called My Heart, Christ's Home. It was written in 1951, 65 years ago, by a Presbyterian minister who at the time was 40 years old named Robert Boyd Munger. And and as he considered Ephesians 3.17, he realized that you could actually consider your heart a literal home. And so he wrote this book, and when he wrote the book originally in 1951, the house had six rooms in it, the study or the library, the living room, the dining room, the work room, the rec room, and the hall closet. And then in 1981, he added the bedroom. So seven rooms, and and if we want to actually experience all that God has for us, what Robert Boyd Munger said was, we need to let him, Jesus, live in each of those rooms. Now, we're not going to go through all seven rooms, but we're going to go through three rooms this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to consider what it means to let Jesus come in and live in our hearts, in our home. Okay? So the first room is the study or the library. Now, of course, if we're using this idea that our heart is the home of Jesus and we talk about the study, we're actually talking about our minds, right? So here's the thing. Our minds are exposed to hundreds of thousands, probably, of bytes of information every single day. Maybe, I don't even, maybe millions, I don't know. But whether it's from our phones or our computers or our televisions, our radios, billboards as we're driving along the road, newspapers, you know, all kinds, books, all kinds of stuff. Kindle now, all, everything. All these things. Hundreds of thousands of pieces of information come in. And it can be mind-numbing. We can, it can be so overwhelming, we don't even realize what we're receiving. So how can we let our studies be the place, our minds be the place where Jesus is at home, where he rules? And I'm going to give you one word, and it's a simple word that that we can do to, to see that that happens. It's called intentionality. Intentionality. We need to filter what comes into our minds. You see, there was a guy named Socrates, lived 400 years before Jesus, and he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. Now, he lived in an age of hardly any technology. And so it must have been pretty easy to examine his life and to see what was going on. Imagine how hard it is for us to examine our lives. And so what we need to do is we need to have a filter. We need to have a filter that will show us that when stuff is coming into our eyes and into our ears, into, you know, that's how primarily through our eyes and ears, primarily stuff comes into our minds. As those things are entering, what are we going to do to make sure to be intentional about only letting in the things that will build us up and let Jesus rule in our hearts. 
Well, uh, a number of years ago, 15 or 20 years ago, it was very popular to wear a bracelet that had four letters on it, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And a lot of people don't realize that what would Jesus do was not a new thing back in the 1990s. WWJD actually came from a book written by Sheldon, I think it was Robert, but I can't remember for sure, called In His Steps, which was written in the 1800s. And in that book, he talked about a church where they decided because of a situation that happened that for one month, they would not, nobody in the church would do anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? So, for example, a local newspaper editor, before he would publish anything in the newspaper, would ask, would Jesus publish it in, in the newspaper? And the local, local business people, before they treated their workers in a certain way, would ask the question, would Jesus treat his workers this way? You get the idea. So, so the point is, we ask the question, what would Jesus do before, as information is coming in? And, and that's a really great question, but I think there's a better one. Because I, I have a problem with WWJD for myself, because... It doesn't matter what would Jesus do because I'm not Jesus, so sometimes I can't do it. So I, I think here's the better question. The better question, which uh, is this, what would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus have me do? So you can answer that question. If you were going to do something and you weren't sure if you should do it or not, if you said, what would Jesus have me do? Then, and you listen, and you read the word, and you filter everything through what God's truth is, you would be able to answer that. So would I. I would be able to say, okay, I'm in this situation. It seems like an opportunity, but how do I know it's not a temptation instead of an opportunity? Well, the answer is I have to look to the word of God. I have to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. And so I will be able to respond based on, and you will be able to respond based on the truth that God gives us. And so we do what Jesus would have us do. Now, we're going to look at two more rooms, as I said, three altogether. The second room we're going to look at is the living room. In our day, we often call it the family room. And the family room or the living room is the place where we gather with our family to relax, to have fun, maybe watch a little television, do those kind of things. When we don't have something we have to do, we sit down together. When our guests come, maybe we entertain them there, we play a game or whatever. And so here's the question. And the question is, how would Jesus feel welcome in our living room, in our family room? And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that when people come over for dinner and after dinner we go into the family room and we get out our Bibles and we have a Bible study. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm guessing you don't have to do that to honor Jesus and, and you know, to have Jesus be part of it. But here's another question, another filtering question for us, and this is it. If Jesus is going to be welcome in our living or family rooms in whatever we do, then it might change what we do. Do you ever think about that? You're sitting watching a TV show. Nancy and I have actually done this. We're sitting watching a TV show, and we go, Jesus won't watch this. And so we turn it off. I mean, and sometimes we're slow. You know, sometimes we're watching a series, you know, and we're getting into the second season. And it started out like, you know, it sort of started out good, but then as it goes on, it's like, whoa, this used to be sort of a family kind of thing, and now it's not. So we turn it off. Or, or maybe we're playing a game, you know, and, and we go, well, you know, would Jesus play Uno? I think he would, but I don't know, you know. Yeah, but there are certain video games I'm pretty sure Jesus probably wouldn't play them. So if Jesus wouldn't play them and he wouldn't feel comfortable with me playing them, probably won't play them. I know this. If Nancy and I start to gossip about our neighbor, I know Jesus won't be part of that. So we got to stop. And so, do you see what I'm saying? If we want Jesus to be at home in our hearts, then we sort of have to reframe everything based on the question, you know, yes, what would Jesus do and what would Jesus have us do? 
And the, the reality is that will change our studies and that will change our family rooms and it will change all the rooms. Now, the last room we're going to talk about today is the hall closet. Now, I love the way Robert Boyd Munger describes the hall closet because he says the hall closet's the only room in the house that's locked. It's a locked room. And, and he won't give Jesus the key. <laughs> because in the hall closet is stuff that he really doesn't want Jesus to see. It's stuff that doesn't honor Jesus. And so what he, he thinks in his mind is, if I don't give Jesus a key, Jesus won't know what's in there. Well, that's sort of odd given a guy who knows how to walk through doors. But okay. But anyway, the point is, we sometimes think that we can have a place in our heart that we can sort of separate out, and, and, and we're, not, you know, we're not letting Jesus see that. And if you're there, Jesus understands that. But here's the thing. What, what Jesus did, he walked up to Robert Board Munger, and he says, you know, if you don't let me come into the closet... I'm going to have to live on the back porch because that closet smells really bad. It stinks, and I, I can't stand the smell. And, and Munger says, well, I can't empty that room. And he goes, I know you can't, but if you give me the key, I'll empty it for you. All you have to do is give me access, and, and I'll take care of it. And that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. There's, there's rooms in our lives, and we are, if we're honest, we all have them. And Jesus doesn't have that room yet. And, and so if we want to have Jesus be the, the Lord of our heart and, and live in our whole, you know, our whole heart is his home, then we're going to have to hand over the key. And, and Munger finally did that. And as he did that, he, he saw change, radical change in his life. And, and here's the thing. If you're not ready to turn over the key yet, this is what we need to know. Until we give Jesus full access to our hearts, the rate at which everything changes in our lives is going to be slower than it could be. And Jesus knows once we're born again that we all, you know, we all grow and change at different rates. I've always been a sort of an all-in kind of a guy. So like when I go swimming at a swimming pool, I don't go to the shallow end and walk in the steps and get a little bit cold, you know, up to here. here. I go to the diving board. I dive in. That's what I do. Whenever a new idea comes up or a new opportunity comes up, I usually go, "Mm, yeah, let's do that. I don't think about it. I don't reflect on it. I'm not saying that's a good way to do things all the time, but that's me because I, that's my personality, because I'm a leader. You know, what, what's a leader? Leader goes first. Why am I the lead pastor in New Life? Because <laughs> I started it. You see, if you want to be the leader of something, you just start it. I'm not, I'm not always the smartest guy in a room, you know, whenever I meet with my staff, but hey, I started it, so I'm the lead pastor. So leaders go first, but here's the thing that I'm learning as I get older. I want Jesus to own all of me. I want Jesus to have every room in the house, including the hall closet, and I don't have 70 more years for that to happen. So I've just given him access to everything. Now, if you're here today and you haven't given him access to anything in your life, then I would encourage you to just give him access to everything right off the bat. But if you can't, give him access to one room at a time. And just whatever pace you can go at, God will honor that. Jesus will honor that. So Paul tells us what happens as we do that. As we give over more and more of our heart to him, here's what happens. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. You see, the only way we're ever going to understand the the width and the breadth and the depth and the height of God's love, Jesus' love, is to give him more of our heart. And I love the fact that it says understand. You see, a lot of people think love is a feeling. It isn't as the Bible uses it. In fact, there's always understanding with love in the Bible, the truth in love. In fact, next week, that's what we're going to talk about, speaking the truth in love. Because truth and love, understanding and love always go together in a person whose heart is filled with Jesus. 
It's not mushy feelings, and it's not rigid truth. It's truth combined in love. And so that's what Paul says happens. And then Paul reminds us it's impossible to understand and experience God's love fully. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So you see, what happens as we give more and more of our heart, it says we become complete. Even though we won't ever understand everything about God, we become complete and there's more fullness and power of God in our lives. Now, does anybody in the room this morning want to have more completeness, more fullness and love of God in your life? Anybody want to have that? Almost everybody does. And, and, you know, the funny thing is over the years, I've talked to people about this and people say this all the time to me. You know, Pastor, I, I really want Jesus to be in charge of my life. I really do. But, but you know, I don't want to go overboard. <laughs> I don't want to be a fanatic. And here's the thing. <laughs> You either give ownership of the house over to Jesus or you don't. At the end of the day, there comes a time in which maybe the only room left is the hall closet, but eventually Jesus has to have the hall closet too because if he doesn't get a hold of everything, ultimately we're never going to be everything we can be. And, and what I love about um, this passage of Scripture is Paul, he's, it's, like, it's almost like Paul's ADD. Because he's talked about all this stuff, it's all tied together, and then boom, he just separates everything out, and he says something that's so incredible, he's just like, well, I just thought of this. And it's a second truth, the second incredible truth, and it has nothing to do with the first half of the book or the second half of the book. It's sort of all by itself, these two verses. He says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or, or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Don't you love those words? You see, Paul has said all of this stuff is true. We're redeemed by Jesus. We have the power of God in our lives. We're citizens of the kingdom. We have the family, you know, the eternal family of God. We get to talk about Jesus. We get to have him living in our heart. And all that's wonderful. And <laughs> whoo, that's not even anything. That's not even anything. Because he can do infinitely more than we could even ask or imagine. And that's why we bring glory to him first, because that's what it's all about. It's not about us. You see, Ephesians 1 to 6 isn't about us at the end of the day. It's about God, because God deserves all glory and honor in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations because of who God is, who, who he was, who he is, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and what he's going to do yet that he hasn't done. And so as Paul comes to this conclusion, sort of a separation between the first half and the second half of his letter, he just is amazed, in awe of what God is going to do. And, and the thing that I, I, I get, because I sort of get this way myself sometimes, is I talk to a lot of demoralized followers of Jesus these days. You know, they say, my family's messed up, my, the, the, the community's messed up, the, the, the nation's messed up, the world's messed up. It's like Jesus doesn't even exist. And, you know, as I think about it some days and I look at my own family and what's going on with my girls and I look at, you know, what's going on in Pittsburgh and what's going on, in, you know, in the States and what's going on, you know, in, in the world, it's easy to think that we're losing, but we already won. You see, we already won. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, we already won. And he's able to do infinitely more than we can even ask or imagine. And, and as Robert Boyd Munger closed out the book, he did something incredible. He came to a realization. He kept cleaning out one room and then the next room and then the next room. And by the time he got to the third room, the first room was getting cluttered up again. Yeah, well, you know what that's like, don't you, Bill? <laughs> we all know what that's like. 
And so he said, you know what? He went to Jesus. He said, hey, Jesus, could I transfer the title of my house over to you? And Jesus said, well, sure, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. You know, you see, Jesus wants to have ownership because when he has ownership, then he will do what he will do in our lives. And we take the orders instead of giving them. And that's the way it should be whenever he's the Lord of the universe. And so in the book, it ends up with him transferring the title. And so the commitment today is this. I will give Jesus full ownership of my heart this week. And if you look inside of your connection, that's what we call this is our connection, you will find a title, a certificate of title. And, and I thought this would be a good way for us to actually, you know, make this a little more concrete instead of abstract, what it would mean to give our lives over to Jesus. And I hope that you'll take this title home. I don't want you to fill it out now. I don't want you to put it in the offering today. I want you to take it home. If you're a couple or a family, I want you to sit down together. I want you to talk about what it means. First of all, it says model. I put Chris Marshall, year 1957, <laughs> antique, okay. Um, and then uh, previous owners, Previous owners, Satan, the world, and wealth and fame. Granting ownership to Jesus Christ. And then I put down this date, today, July 17, 2016. Actually, it was June 13th of 1969, but that's just for the sake of discussion, today. And then I signed my name. And you say, well, what will that do? Well, I'm going to put this up on my, uh, my bulletin board at my desk, and every day I'm going to look at that. And it's just going to remind me of something that's already true. Jesus owns me. Everything, every room in my house belongs to him. And so whenever I screw up, which I will, I'll, I'll repent and I'll turn back to him and ask him for new strength. So if you've never committed your life to Jesus before, then what I would encourage you to do, if you've never transferred ownership, I would encourage you to do that. Actually, don't wait to go home to do that. Do that right here. There's a prayer that's going to be up on the screen, and it says this, Jesus, come in and take over. In other words, my heart is here. I want you to come in and take over. I give you my heart, my life. Be my owner, my Lord. That's what Lord means, is owner. My Savior, fill me with yourself through your spirit that I may live for you the rest of my life. This I pray in your holy name. Amen. So if you do that, if you just did that for the very first time, now Jesus owns your life. And, and now you're a citizen of, of heaven forever. You're a member of the family forever. You, you get to tell people about Jesus whenever you want to, and, and you have the right to do that. You get to do all of these things, and you get to let him make the decisions that you used to make. And if you're like me, the decisions will be better when Jesus is making them than when you're making them. Okay, so what about the rest of us? What if you already did transfer, you know, the membership or the ownership of the title of your home, your heart to Jesus 10 years ago, 20 years, 50 years ago? We're going to do something a little different this morning um, in order to sort of signify that, okay? And, and those of you who come all the time know it's not really all that different to do stuff different here. But I felt like the Lord was telling me this week that it, it's one thing to just take a piece of paper home and sign it, but it's another thing to make an actual move to show your commitment. And so during the offering, after you give your offering, and while we're singing, if you want to, you can come forward up front here, and, and you can just pray, or you can sing, or just, it's just a way of saying, Jesus, you know, I want everybody to know that I belong to you. Now, some of you who have read the Bible are saying, well, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, when you pray, you shouldn't let anybody know. When you give, you shouldn't let anybody know. He did say that. Jesus also said, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my heavenly Father. So which one's right? All three. 
You're not supposed to let other people know what you're doing when you're giving. You're not supposed to let other people know what you're praying when you're praying. Unless you're praying in public like this, it's important to, you know, pray out loud. Um, And then the third thing is we are supposed to let people know that we belong to him. So if you want to stay in your seat, if you want to come up front, that's up between you and God. Okay? But that's what we're going to do um, this morning during the offering time. We're going to offer not just our tithes and our offerings and the commitments of our heart, but we're going to come forward and offer ourselves and, and the title of our lives symbolically. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truth contained in these words that we belong to you if Jesus is Lord of our life and that you um, own us, that you care for us, that you love us with an everlasting love and and that everything that we could imagine that you could do, you're going to do more than that. And so we pray right now, God, as we bring to you our lives in whatever fashion that looks like today, that you will receive them, that you will glorify yourself in them and in us. God, we pray that we might truly be hearts that have you at the center, that our home will be ruled by you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.